and welcome to another Canny Conversations podcast powered by The Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Safros is talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. And of course, many of the businesses that are part of the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. This week, Savras continues his conversation with Lucy Hunt, the National Programme Manager for Apprenticeships at NHS England. In this very insightful episode, Lucy reflects on her career journey and the impact she's making in the apprenticeship sector. She discusses the importance of mentorship, the diversity in the workplace and the challenges faced in promoting apprenticeships to SME employers. Lucy's background in sales equips her with valuable skills to navigate the sector and advocate for positive change. Keep listening to hear about our experiences, challenges and vision for the future of apprenticeships and workforce development within NHS England. So let's rejoin Safras and Lucy's conversation. I mean, talking about bettering people's lives, I mean, you, you know, again, another thing that I would suggest uh, and actually say to yourself is that you're very well known for is about diversity, promoting diversity in the workplace. You know, that's another thing that, you know, you're continuously, constantly talking talking about it and rightly so. And you are seen as a champion for diversity as well. So talk to us a little bit about some of those sort of conversations that you're having. If I can bring in some of the work that you're doing with us as well. Uh, you've supported us from day one with the awards, with the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, what is now known as Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. And, and you lead on that agenda. And, and, and if anybody is talking about diversity and promoting diversity in the workplace, your name comes into conversation. Organizations, you know, and I bear witness to that as well. The <laughs> fact that you know it, it, that is the case. So, talk to us a little bit about some of those things, if you can. So, I think it's really important <clears throat> to me because of my background and potentially, you know, some of the challenges that I had to overcome. It's only been in the last few years where I've realised that I have done really well for myself. You know, I was on free school meals, single parent, terrible postcode. I was the first person in my family to go to university. So when you look at the social mobility indicators, it was quite an eye-opener. I was like, oh, you know, I've done all that. And I think, you know, I just want to kind of lead by example and fly the flag and pave the way for others that are coming from, you know, maybe lower socioeconomic backgrounds, but have got that drive and that passion. We know that diversity in the workplace can only be a positive thing, you know, certainly in the NHS For us, it's really important that our workforce represents the communities that we serve. You know, I love that you can go into hospitals now and a lot of them will have the placard saying all the languages that are being spoken that day in the trust. And I think that's fantastic because we are a much more diverse society. So it's really important that our workforce does that. And I think for me, it's just, you know, giving people that stepping stone, the opportunities that might not have had before, And I really don't like it, you know, when it's just a tick box and, you know, there's been a lot of bad publicity around some ministers making comments about removing all these woke EDI leads. And I just think that's insulting because as a mixed race woman, I have encountered numerous racism in my jobs and in my career. And I think, you know, unless you call it out, it's going to continue to keep happening. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad to be known for that. I think it's just a natural thing for me because it's something that I truly believe in. And I want that equality in the workplace. And, you know, I work with some amazing, strong black women that have really kind of supported and mentored me. And I want to continue doing that for the next generation. 
Lucy, talk to us a little bit about, uh, if I if I can say, black leadership or BAME leadership, and what does that look like? I mean, you are a uh, a leader. You know, you identify as black. You're female. You are a leader. So that you've done that. Others might say there's a sort of a, a ceiling, a glass ceiling for them. They're, they're sort of challenging. Uh, there's many who say, you know, we can't get into just about get into a sort of a team leader management level, but the the next step is is very difficult. We don't have that support. We don't have the mentors in the in the workplace. You don't have the people who are sort of uh, sponsoring, supporting, and guiding. And there's just lack of that. So, mm-hmm. any thoughts around that sort of topic of conversation that, that happens? So it is is still a fact. You know, I think that in terms of senior leadership, we've got still got snowy white peaks, and you know. People aspire to what they see, don't they? And I think that's still a big challenge for us in the NHS. Don't get me wrong, there are some fantastic BME people in very senior positions, but they're still few and far between. I'm part of the NHS England BME Leadership Network. And again, that is just making sure that people have got a platform and a safe space to talk about issues. I heard a horrifying story a couple months ago, and it was from a colleague who kept being told that she was rude and aggressive. And she's the only black person in a team of 15 white people and it was really getting her down and we had a conversation and someone had advised her on the next team meeting to keep her camera off and say that there was an issue with her camera and on that meeting she delivered the exact same points that she had delivered the week before and suddenly they were very receptive and you know the person that had been telling her that she was rude and aggressive was actually no that's a very good point you know, that's horrific that that's still happening in 2023 and that she was being seen as challenging when really they just couldn't see past the colour of her skin. So, you know, that really stayed with me because I just thought yeah. it shouldn't be happening. But I know, I think, you know, being mixed race, it has been a challenge because, you know, I always felt I was kind of too light to be black and too dark to be white. When I started university, I remember I went to join the Afro-Caribbean Society and these two African girls kind of looked me up and down and were like, what's your heritage? You're far too light-skinned to be part of this. You know, that was on my first day at university. And, you know, that really kind of, I avoided them for the next three years. But, you know, it was it was not nice to be kind of judged on that. But I think there's still a lot to do. I think, you know, racism, the far right, it's terrifying in the country at the moment how they seem to no longer be hiding in the shadows and have got a voice. So I think, you know, now more than ever, you need to have allies and you need to have people that will speak out and protect colleagues that are being kind of discriminated against. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm going to change tack a little bit, if I may, Lucy, and talk a little bit about, you know, your, your sort of experience with employee engagement, sales. You know, you, you openly said the fact that, you know, you come from a sales background. And uh, I'm happy to say, you know, sales is, is absolutely vital in terms of leadership and in terms of businesses and so forth. Uh, so, you know, you've been there, you've done that, you've got the experience with that, you're proud to be associated and, and saying, you know, you've got that employee engagement knowledge and sales knowledge. Talk to us about some of the challenges generally uh, in terms of talking about apprenticeships now to SME employers, to generally out there, talking about some of the opportunities within the funded skill sector. And really how, you know, and, and you know, if you talk to businesses out there, they say, we can't get the right people to help us grow. We can't get the sales staff, we can't get the business engagement people, we can't get employee engagement, we can't get the right level of skill sets. And there seems to be that level of challenge within our, our sector. Well, I would say that 
sales, I think, has definitely changed since my day. So when I first started in sales, you know, we had a structure. We followed the steps of the sale. You know, you would have an interest arouser. You would establish the man, which was money, authority, needs. I still remember it all. Um, And you'd make sure you had that hook to have a conversation and, you'd you know, understand the client's needs and then you'd sell your product. Nowadays, they don't do any of that. I think, you know, the term is spray and pray but you know my LinkedIn inbox is embarrassing you know the amount of emails I get literally hundreds every week do you know about the apprenticeship levy do you know how apprenticeships could help your business and I respond back and say have you read my profile like you know I'm there's just laziness isn't it and I do think it's different and I think certainly my sales background my sales training has helped me progress and do what I do now because I think you have to build that resilience you have to not be afraid to knock on doors you need to be able to kind of change people's minds win hearts and minds and things like that Mm. so I think that has kind of stood me in good stead in terms of this but I do think you know sales has definitely changed it's not the art that it used to be and you know if people do approach me with a decent sales strategy or at least try to understand what I want or what the business needs or anything like that, I will have the conversation because I remember them days when you used to be making your dials and getting hung up on. But I think, yeah, it's definitely a lost art. I think too many providers rely on just kind of mass spamming rather than actually, you know, offering any value. And I think, you know, in a really competitive market, the ones that do take the time to try and understand what your organisation needs are the ones that are going to excel. So, you know, we've got a great bank of providers that we work with. But yeah, even still now, you know, we do have to procure in the NHS. That's part of our procurement rules. We have a procurement framework. You need to get on that. Ofsted is part of that to make sure that we've got the quality. But you still need to be able to have a conversation with people and you know, I'm guilty of it. I think my background when I was at the college, I would promise the world and then I'd come back and the trainer assessors would be like, you said what? You said we could do what? You know, and it was it was difficult to overcome. I think, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do was workplace delivery at a college and the head of curriculum was like, but they're 10 minutes down the road. Why can't they just come to us? And I was like, because apprenticeships are employer-led. If they can host us on their premises, we should do this or they'll go to someone that can. And obviously that worked, but yeah, you know, the fact that I was having to point out that if that's what the employer wants and that's what you should try to accommodate, you know, was just a different concept for them. But yeah, I definitely think sales is a lost dead art and it's, you know, it's very distressing because I think there's a lot of products that, you know, would really help in this sector. But yeah, spamming me saying, (laughs) do you you know about the apprenticeship levy is not going to be that way in, is it? (laughs) Well, whilst, whilst you were talking, Lucy, I was like smiling like a Cheshire cat here because it brings back memories as well. Uh, money authority needs, spray and pay, and all, all as you said, it's, it's just it's spin selling and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it, it is. These are tried and tested sort of techniques, and there's a psychology behind it, there's a reasoning behind it, and uh, and there doesn't seem to be that at all. And, and there's no rapport building, there's none of that engagement. Definitely. It, and I think, you know, I mean, I do think maybe it's because we're a lot more kind of email based. You know, when my phone rings now, I do look at it in horror and think, why aren't they emailing me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so, it, you know, I think it's probably more difficult to get that engagement. But yeah, if you don't even try, you know to build rapport I think that comes down to basics and one of the first things that I learned in sales was people buy people 
So if you are honest and you've got that integrity and, you know, your passion shines through, then I was always, you know, smashing my targets because people would want to follow me on my journey. Wow. So, Lucy, if somebody wanted to become part of the supply chain, uh, independent training providers and so forth, and maybe even the colleges, and as you said, you know, in every single sort of territory, NHS, trust in one, one form or another, will probably be either the number one employer in that area or definitely within the top five, I would suggest, mm-hmm. uh, in, in more or less every single uh, area within within the country. How does an SME organization, how does an independent training provider Uh, look at those opportunities so that's a good question and i think you know we are the biggest employer in every region apart from cumbria where baa systems pip us to that but yeah you know that is a fact so we work with a company called salisbury they are an nhs trust but they've got a procurement division and they work with us on a specific apprenticeship procurement because that was one of the first things that we introduced when I first started was that our procurement teams were used to procuring for, you know, photocopiers or gloves, but not in terms of education. Mm. And it was a challenge because they couldn't understand how it wasn't our money, but we were still wanted to have this framework. And it was all coming down to the quality measures. So you can be a provider for the NHS by applying to the Salisbury framework. It's open several times a year. There's key quality pass or fail questions. And then you can advertise your offer. So whether it's clinical, non-clinical, whether you do regional, national, you know, and essentially then we have this document that all trusts and SMEs can access in terms of being able to find a good local quality provider in their region it does update often you know in terms of Ofsted and things like that but you know that's definitely the starting point if you get yourself on the framework then you'll be notified each time there is kind of a tender or a mini competition you'll be invited to bid and that's encouraged in terms of SME organizations and potentially those sort of things okay so yeah definitely I would suggest that people look at that I mean it might may not be right for them now but it's something that that should be on their radar and it's not just NHS England but there's many other organizations out there public sector organizations and, and larger organizations are actively looking to build up their supply chain and actively looking to bring on people on well board. yeah I mean on that I'm doing a session at AOC later today and it's about how colleges can step up in that space because there are some great examples where colleges are really supporting the NHS and that's in terms of kind of AEB, being able to offer maths and English classes, being flexible around that, maybe recognising that people work shifts, so doing evening classes or weekend classes. Digital literacy is a huge growth area for us with the move to electronic patient records. We, you know, we've got a lot of people that have to have a basic level of digital literacy. So again, I think that's something where colleges could work out. Skills boot camps, I think, you know, we're getting some great success and traction from them in terms of being able to support people into roles at the end of the skills boot camp so yeah i think the lsips have all been published now you know there's some real clear kind of needs and wants coming out from employers not just the nhs and there's some definitely some common themes and i think providers should take note of that and try and adjust their offer accordingly to what their local skills improvement plans are looking for Lucy, you touched on the fact that you know you did some reflection, and you know you you've done really well, remarkably well in terms of the journey, the starting point to a, to a level, and and you touched on the fact that you know you had 
people look out for you. You know, Omar Khan was the name that you mentioned earlier on. You have people around you that suggested that, you know, this is something that you should consider. You've done that for many, many people. I know that as well. You know, you've been that mentor, that sort of uh, guiding person as well. In, in terms of the, the sort of, you know, if you're talking, we're talking generally an advice for people out there who are on that sort of journey of careers, how do they go and find a mentor? How do they go and find people who can sort of sponsor support and so forth? How do you build those relationships? How do you create that brand? that authority to say, you know what, this is somebody that I'm comfortable being around, associated with, and, and they're there for the right reasons and so forth. But how does that look like for yourself? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think I have been really lucky in my career, certainly since I come into the apprenticeship space, to kind of just be connected with like-minded, strong females. And we do support each other, you know, through thick and thin, through good times and bad times. So I, I do realise that, that I'm lucky to have that network. Um, in terms of finding, finding uh, like kind of sponsorship or yeah. mentorship, you know, there are various different organisations that can help with that. We're doing a lot of work with the Black Apprentice Network. We obviously work with the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. Um, there's the BME Leadership Network. So, you know, there are opportunities out there, but I still think, yeah, it's something that we need to do more of. And it's in terms of just giving back, you know, the satisfaction of when I do have, you know, a short call with someone and give them some advice and guidance. And then I get an email, oh, amazing, I've got the job, I've got the apprenticeship, or I've got my place at college or university or whatever it is they want to do. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's difficult. I'm very busy. But if people reach out, I do always try to respond and help because I think, yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today if people hadn't given me yeah. that kind of helping hand. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, you touched on the, the peer support as well, the, the sort of network and and. As, as a sort of a community within the further education skills apprenticeship sector, we do sort of try and look out for each other to a certain level. And it is a community and, and it is a good vibe when you see people, you know, and, and you can sort of support and cheer them on and so forth. And, you know, you've got a strong network, you've got strong alliances there, you've supported many, many people and you've always been open and so forth. So, and, and at the same time, you know, the community that we are, we sort of, do downplay a little bit as well you know we we we, have, we sometimes lose that confidence in terms of what we can do and so forth because of some of the negatives out there so talk to us about some of the sort of some of your thoughts in terms of the sector the, the mindset because it's like you know a bit of a roller coaster really sometimes you know we're on a high we feel like we've done well and then sometimes you think oh god is this again some of the challenges uh so how, you know you know what what does that look like for yourself being uh, you know, a leader within this sector so as i said before i think you know my sales background has definitely helped with that resilience yeah. um and i think that's a really really important strength to have yeah. i still get days where i'll come home and i'm really deflated because i think i haven't made the impact that i wanted to make you know some days are groundhog days when i am having the same conversation about how apprenticeships are not the poor relation how you know you do have to be academic how it still frustrates me that 2023 I have to I get oh I didn't know the NHS did apprenticeships people still think it's kind of plumbing and hairdressing and don't oh, understand okay. the opportunities but you know I've got a great family I've got a great support network so I think it's just a case of recharging and going back to battle the next day but yeah, yeah you know it's not all sunshine and roses it is very challenging I do hear some really really awful stories working in the NHS and you know just at the moment just in terms of kind of poverty and things like that it is it's really makes me grateful for what I have yeah. but recognizing that there's still a lot more to do in terms of you know the food back around the corner for me I see a long queue of people in NHS uniforms and they shouldn't be having to use food banks in this day and age. But, you know, I just think 
for me, my motto's always been choose your battles because I'd love to change the world, but I can't do that. But if I can make an impact or a difference a piece at a time, then I feel like I'm doing something or adding value. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. Lucy, in terms of obviously, you know, you've got your mainstay role, but we're, we we know you because you're very, very active in terms of apart from the work that you do at NHS England, you know, you're, you're there at conferences. You mentioned the fact that you're going to one today. You're active in terms of participating and being part of the the change, you know, and you are a change maker in that. You've got another role, which is a board trustee at, at a, an awarding organisation. I just want you to t- tell us a little bit about how that fits in. What does that look like? What are the challenges that you're sort of looking at as a sort of a trustee for an international, multinational uh, awarding organisation, NOCN? And, and how does that fit into the sort of, to the workload that you, you've got, and, you know, you, which is already stretching and challenging, as, as I said? Yeah, so um, I was approached about being on the board at NOCN and I was really flattered. I think, you know, as an educational charity, their values really aligned with me and what I'm passionate about. You know, no learner left behind. And, I, yeah. you know, I thought, okay, this is a good fit. And also thought it would be, you know, personally for me, it would be good development. It would give me exposure into something that I hadn't had experience of before. And it has been interesting. It's been a learning curve. I do feel like I add value. You know, certainly when it's a difficult market, kind of giving them a steer on on what to focus on and what not to focus on from a NHS perspective. And I think that is part of the challenge in the sector at the moment is that, you know, ultimately people are competing. So you really need to kind of identify what your USP is and go for that rather than trying to kind of mm. compete with others. That was mm. one of my biggest bugbears is when mm. competitors talk down each other to the employer i don't think you know if you're going to sell to me you sell to me on your strengths and what you can offer my organization not by kind of bad mouthing your rivals or your competitors and i think that happens far too much but yeah the nocn kind of has been it's good experience for me i think they're going from strength to strength again in a very difficult market the challenges that we've already mentioned recruiting staff retaining staff and, you know, making that bottom line work, it is difficult, but it's been, yeah, it was just felt like a natural progression to be involved in that. And now, you know, it's another string to my bow that I absolutely. can say I've got trustee experience. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, a couple of sort of final questions if I can. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about careers advice. You know, you touched on it in terms of some of the lack of careers advice out there. You you know, you spoke about your daughter as well and, and putting things into perspective. I think perspective is the word there. And why, as a country where we keep talking about careers advice and career, lack of careers of guidance, we, we're still not getting it right. Again, you touched on this as well. Why are the schools sort of pushing the agenda that they've got with regard to, you know, the universities and the colleges and in terms of, you know, going going down the further education and the higher education route and not looking at other alternatives and, and why is it still the case that apprenticeships are seen as a second choice, not as an alternative choice and a, as a choice there. And possibly I would say that, you know, the conversations that we're having now are probably the conversation that we were having even a decade ago, even sort of even five years ago, same same conversations, but it doesn't seem like it's going in the direction that we all need this to go. So there's a sort of a conversation that I just want you to touch a little bit about, about and then we'll talk a little bit about you know the future to a certain level for yourself and for NHS England and any words of advice for people out there generally. So two things there. Yeah, so uh, 
I think there has been progress. It is very slow and very painful, but I certainly, I think from the schools that I support in Barking and Dagenham and Havering, I have seen the change because now they invite me in to engage with them in year seven and I'll just do my generic 350 different careers, guaranteed if there's something that you're interested in, there'll be a job for you in the NHS. And I think by sowing those seeds at a young date, when I go back in in year 10, year 11, they remember me and they're like, oh, I've decided I want to be a paramedic or I want to be an IT technician or whatever it is. So I think, you know, we are moving in the right direction, hopefully with the Baker Clause and all of that. I even had to speak to an Ofsted inspector recently for one of the schools that I work at. They wanted to talk to me about the careers advice that I do. So Hopefully, schools, once they realise that they are going to be penalised if they don't mm. offer impartial advice, things will improve even more. But I think the challenge will come down to funding. And, you know, I know this with my daughter's schools. They want to keep them for A-levels because they get that money. So are they really ever truly <laughs> going to be promoting them to go somewhere else? My daughter, as mentioned, she got into, you know, this super elite sixth form and her school basically called and said to her, but they don't care about you like we do. You know, to them, you're just the grades and going on. And I was, you can't be doing that to a 16-year-old. But that just showed how desperate they kind of were. She had been one of their highest achievers. They wanted to keep her for A-levels. But I think, you know, while schools are competing for that funding, the partial advice and guidance is always going to be for the traditional route. But there have been some small wins. One of the schools that I work with this year for the first year had degree apprenticeships as a positive destination. So little wins like that. And there was even someone going on to do a level three engineering that they celebrated, you know, and I think that's huge considering I've been talking about this for so many years. But yeah, I think, you know, we need to raise the parity of esteem. The flip side of that, though, is the more apprenticeships become high profile, I worry about the impact on widening participation and diversity because mm. I've said that with the work that UCAS are doing, which I'm really supported of, the same kids that get that dedicated UCAS time are going to get the dedicated apprenticeship time. The schools in the more deprived boroughs, deprived regions where they haven't got the resource, they haven't got a dedicated person, I think that gap is going to be even bigger and they're going to be left behind. So that is one of my worries that the more popular apprenticeships become, that the more competitive they're going to be. And even kind of judging the apprenticeship awards this year, for the first time for the multicultural and for the national apprenticeship awards, it was people talking about choosing a degree apprenticeship for religious purposes mm. because they weren't allowed to take out student yeah. finance. So that was an eye-opener for me, and I think that's going to become more and more of an issue. You know, to me, a degree apprenticeship is a no-brainer. You get your degree paid for, you don't get into debt, and you've got a job. Like, you know, it couldn't be easier. And I think, you know, that's the only thing I'm worried about is that if we do improve the trajectory, that social disadvantage will become even bigger because it will be the pointy-elbowed middle-class kids that can get, could have done the traditional route, are going to be getting all the apprenticeships. Okay, thank you for that. So, Lucy, in terms of the future of apprenticeships, the future of some of the activities within the NHS England, the future of our sector, the sector that we love and have worked with and you know identify as part of our sort of career and it is our identity as well and, and your good self in terms of aspirations ambition you know you've done a lot you've got multiple things that you're juggling and i don't know how you do it but you know hats off to you talk to us a little bit about the next steps really so i think you know if we're going to meet the ambitions in the long-term workforce plan we're just going to have to you know ramp it up even more so there's going to be no rest for the wicked i think for me 
In terms of progression or next steps, at the moment, I love what I do and I'm really happy where I am and I've got a great team of people around me and I can really see the value that I'm adding. So I don't think I'll be going anywhere for a while. You know, I'd love to retire to a hot island at some stage, but, you know, I'm, I'm 50 next year and I think that that's enough of an issue to be dealing with. But, um, yeah, I think as long as I continue to love what I do, then I'll continue doing it. And I do think that potentially the sector is just going to go from strength to strength. It has been a really challenging year. I think that government need to kind of step up and restore some kind of stability in the sector. We know funding is going to be an issue, but I champion apprenticeships because I truly believe in them and I see the life-changing impact that they can have. So I think, you know, the more we get that message out, then they're only going to continue to grow in popularity. Lucy, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot about your good self that I didn't know before. For whatever reason, I didn't see you as a salesperson. You're very persuasive. I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of sold to you automatically. You're absolutely fantastic. And I've, it's brought back memories in terms of sales and selling and so forth. And, and that's been a delight. Some of the challenges that you spoke about, I think I'm absolutely with you. And, you know, you spoke from the heart. And, and you know, we hope that the powers that be are listening uh do listen and we hope that you know you get the right outcomes i hope that business admin does come in in some aspects of it i think it is a game changer it is something that will make a difference you can see it making that difference you know as i said right at the beginning you are a very distinguished person within the sector uh you are a, a game changer you are a change maker and you know we've got a lot of love respect for you and and we respect you as a role model and a, as a as somebody who, who's been there and, and is doing the right things for the right reason. And uh, please don't stop, regardless of your wish and desire to go to a, a hot country. Please carry on doing what you're doing. And, uh, and I just want to thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for all your support. And thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Lucy Hunt, National Programme Manager for Apprenticeships, at NHS England for her time and insight. Next week, you'll be able to hear the first part of Safraz's conversation with Scott Parkin from the Institute of Employability Professionals. So if you don't want to miss that, then remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you there are already 79 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd also love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy-to-follow business books, Canny Bytes. These are available from cannybytes.co.uk forward slash buy the book. As I said, we'll be back next week where we'll be able to hear the first part of Safraz's conversation with Scott Parkin from the Institute of Employability Professionals. So until then, have a good week. This is a 1386 audio production.